Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. Do you ever get hijacked by anger or fear? Of course you do. Do you feel guilty when you try to make time for something other than work or family? And what exactly is mindfulness and how can meditation help us become more emotionally resilient? Jamal Yogis has written quite a few books on mindfulness, meditation, and how it all relates to our emotional world. He's got a new kid's book called Mop Rides the Waves of Life but the lessons within are something we could all benefit from. Today, he and I talk about fatherhood, plus how meditation impacts the way we experience fear and anger. This, uh, you know, mop rides the waves of life. I love, uh, I love getting a copy of this in the mail and I left it out for my daughter and then, you know, about five minutes later, she was over there sniffing at it and, and reading through it. If I if I say, hey, read this, you won't do it. But if I just leave things out, she'll go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The rebellion starts so early. I feel like our four-year-old is already that way. He's like, yeah. that's what you do. That's what you do, Dad. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> well, so like, tell I thought me. this started at 16, not four. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, So what had you write this book? Because the other books... Saltwater Buddha, The Fear Project, All Our Waves Are Water. There's been this thread of mindfulness, meditation, you know, the, those topics have all been in the fabric of the stuff that you've, that you've written before. So here comes this book, obviously for younger people. What was, what was going on for you? Why did you, why did you write this one? It's funny. I mean, it, it arose organically. Uh, one of the things I love to do is doodle. It's like a, uh, uh, ever since I was a little kid, I would I love drawing waves and love making little like big headed caricatures. <laughs> and uh, so I was doodling this guy with really curly hair who had a little surfboard. And um, I loved the way he looked. And so I started putting him in different little adventures, little surf, <laughs> you know, dreamy waves. And, and then um, – yeah, something about him was just really compelling. So I kept like a narrative built. And then, yeah, lo and behold, there were 40 pages. And it, I realized, I think, that 
I could summarize these fairly complex or ideas that I was making complex sometimes in my books or integrating into a more complex story, really simple. And I just, I just submitted it. I was like, Oh, that was unexpected. You just wrote a kid's book. Thinking back on it. Uh, when our first son was born, Kyphus, eight years ago, I really felt like part of me just died <laughs> because, like, I was—I had set up my life to be really carefree. Like, I could ship off to Bali for three months every year, live in a hammock. I could, you know, if I got too stressed, I always had all these things that I could do to fall back. You know, go play guitar on a cliff for three hours, whatever. It's like all of a sudden, I had no time. You know, you know how it is, right? Um, and so I was like, oh. I don't know who I am anymore. Like, I don't know. I'm in totally in love with this kid, but that old me has just died. And I'm, and, and so it was this, it's this funny experience of like you're grieving the loss of that. You've died. (laughs) You're totally in love with this new being and you're like feeling all these kind of new superpowers from that, but you're really looking for yourself. So anyway, that's a long winded way of saying like, I feel like this guy mop was now that I'm looking back on it, maybe came up unconsciously. He's like a reincarnation of the old me, like coming back into dad life. <laughs> like, like he, he can do all the things that I wanted to do as a young kid. And that I, I, and it's not like I don't still do those things. You know, I still have a, still get to surf and, you know, more than, more than I should as a dad. So I can't complain, but this character wanted to come back in to my life and integrate with like, my life as a dad. So maybe that's the, how it happened. Well, I appreciate that. Cause I, you know, there is that thing where as we become fathers, it's like a bomb going off. I, I reconnected with an old friend recently. I hadn't talked to him since before my daughter was born or maybe, you know, around that time. And, and, you know, we were talking about things and I was like, yeah, that, that, that just part of the slate just got wiped clean there for a while. It was full for me, learning how to be a dad, learning how to, you know, be with this young person, like just being completely inundated with that. But then there were these, these pieces of myself and my identity that just got annihilated for, for lack of a better term. And it just, or at least definitely got put on pause. And now there's an opportunity to integrate them, reintegrate them back into our lives again. But for some guys, that's a, that's a place where we can tend to lose ourselves because it's like, well, if it's not going to go towards work, bringing in money, if it's not going to go towards uh, anything that has to do with my family, then a lot of them, they just cut that off. They, they, they deny access to those things that might be outside of work and outside of family. And that, I find that that's where we start to really lose ourselves and we lose what's fun. We lose what's invigorating. I think this is where the grumpy dad kind of comes from and he's kind of pissy and grouchy a lot because he's not doing anything outside of that unit that brings energy into the, into the dynamic. So uh, is, does that resonate for you at all? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, you got to make time for play and play with your kids, but also like play by yourself, you know, what, whatever that was for you, you know, like uh, being in your band with your friends or going surfing or <clears throat> exercise. I know, I know when I'm just getting overly grouchy with my kids, like I just have to take space. And sometimes I feel bad asking for it. You know, it's like, there's that guilt complex of like, no, I should be, um, I should, I should be able to take it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I'm not working, I'm not providing, then I should be like, you know, working on the house or like, you know, 
And so you feel like you can, that voice of maybe it's like, I come from a long line of military men who were like tough guys, you know? I think there's a part of me that always hears that voice of like, you don't, don't be a, don't wuss out, you know? But right. then if I go and take the run, I go meditate, I go, surf then i come back and i'm like hey guys you know i'm fun i don't know how it is for you but how i react to like what my kids are doing like if they're biting each other on the floor over a popsicle has more way more to do how with how i'm feeling than with what they're doing because like that situation literally has happened 20 times and i've like screamed at the top of my lungs and been like you guys don't have any respect for us you never listen you know? <laughs> what <laughs> and then i've also been like whoa 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 okay guys take a time out you know separate what's going on here when i feel good and then that situation is so much better but i i can't i wish i could do that without you know refilling my tank but i think in some ways it's good that you have to keep that part of yourself going cuz otherwise you do you just become a grump i think i think so <laughs> many guys are like once i get everything taken care of then i'll give myself permission to go do what feels like play or feels rejuvenating for me so once all the dishes are done or once the the bank is, my bank account looks right or once uh, fill in the blank right there's always there's always something that we're seeking some kind of a completion. And, and so we just live in this constant state of deprivation. And until we get that thing completed, then it's, we're not okay. We're not okay to go do this thing. Cause why would we be, we still got so many, so many things to do. And I think what I'm hearing you say, and I think this is what's true for me too, is like when I take care of myself, I bring a much better version of myself to whatever I'm doing. I'm more resourced. I got a sense of humor. I don't fly off the handle. I don't, wound my my kid with my tone of voice or whatever that might be um it's it's just way better all the way around and and so i think that's we want to challenge that idea that once xyz is completely taken care of then i'll finally have permission to go do the thing that rejuvenates me or, or energizes me i just see way too many guys doing that martyrdom thing that you talk about that deprivation yeah i i agree and um you know so i i i slip into that myself yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we have to just, it's a funny paradox where you have to strive to improve your life and work on your bank account and try to make a positive imprint on the world. And it's like, all of us want to make our lives as good as they can be. And also, you know, it's like, we look at it at the world we're bring, raising our kids into. It's like, I want to go, you know, solve climate change tomorrow, <laughs> but I can't do that alone. And you can't, you know, all I can do is those little things day by day, mm -hmm. like try to make my contribution. And I think I like what you said about we're always working toward completion, but that completion can never really happen. I mean, you can finish a task, but there's always going to be more to do. So at some point you have to sort of embrace the way things are now because happiness can only come right now. I have to remember that again and again, that it's like, I can only be happy <laughs> by accepting the fact that things are incomplete. The house will always be a little bit messy. Like I'll always have some work on the horizon. It's never going to, even if I, you know, strike it rich, there's going to be a bunch of things that have to happen <laughs> now that I'm rich. You yeah. Know? Holding that paradox I've found is really important where you're like, okay, I got to do the work, but I can also just be like, things are good now. 
Mm-hmm. And, and if I really open up to gratitude, like noticing a few things that I have now that I'm super grateful for and kind of breathing those in and being like, hey, I, I have work to do, but how about celebrating what I have today? Yeah. That, that's important for me. I, lo- I love that you talk, that you touch on the gratitude thing. Cause I think there's that part of us. It's like, I'll only feel complete or I only feel okay. Once this is all done, then I'll be grateful. Um, th- there's a, there's an aspect of this, which is tension, right? There's a tension to having things being undone. And it's like, it helps, helps me understand why completion feels so important. It's like, well, once this is done, I can finally be free. I can finally be relieved of this tension. When I wake up in the morning, then there's nothing goes, oh, I got this thing I got to do. And oh, I got this other thing I got to do. And when you go to bed at night, you're like, I didn't quite get all that stuff done. There's that, that chronic sense of tension. It's a dynamic tension of like, hey, I'm moving towards something of improvement. It could be all good things, but nonetheless, there's, it's, you're not there. And I know a lot of guys, especially guys that are into this personal growth or building their business or whatever, there's this, that finish line's always moving and, and always expanding and always getting further out. So they're always experiencing this tension. And I think deep down, there's a part of them that believes that I'm actually going to get it all done. I'm going to be done. And then I'll be able to feel this, ah, this sense of okayness and this sense of relief. But um, what you're saying is let's just recognize that there's always going to be this tension. There's always going to be things to improve. There's always going to be things that need to be done. Now, what are we grateful for right now? Given, given that this is how things are, what, what can I be grateful for right now? And then what can I just, how can I also enjoy what's happening right now? What if it was okay to, to experience a little bit of that tension without needing to get so wrapped up in um, having to have things done in order to be okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you're triggering the, a memory of, uh, you may hear my kids screaming a little bit in the background. I, <laughs> my, I wonder my, which I version, my, are we going to see the screaming wife. version of you? Or? <laughs> I, hear my, I hear my wife is uh, cleaning up the mess there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember um, talking with a good friend of mine who I, I grew up with. Chris Sullivan, he's a star on the show. This is us. He just was like nominated for best actor and for getting an Emmy. It's like super successful guy, right? Like he was on, uh, you know, he's been on all these Broadway shows and he went through this huge shift where he was getting all this success and attention and fame and all his dreams were coming true, but he was living in this state of panic where it was like, what's the next thing? How big is it going to get? You know, like, I haven't locked in the next show. He he started a mindfulness practice, and I saw him like a year later, and he was just a completely different person. And he said, the thing that I keep reminding myself is like, I have to celebrate what I've achieved. It's It's interesting when you see somebody like that who is living the thing that so many actors dream. And he was miserable until he made that shift of like, I can celebrate this now. I can relax. Like, if I don't relax now and celebrate, I won't (laughs) when I've won the Emmy or the Oscar or I'm doing, you know, it's like, you know, he's doing even more in his career. I think from that new perspective, I think oftentimes that appreciation, it allows things to flow into your life a little bit more. But whether it does or not, it's like 
the only time you can choose to enjoy your life is now. <laughs> so yeah. if you're, we have in the U.S. like this Protestant work ethic where it's like your self worth is like how hard you're grinding. You know, how are you and doing? I'm busy. A, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. That's rewarded <laughs> right. for that, right? And there is an aspect of that to embrace, like working hard is a great value, going after something, believing, having faith in it. But, um, but yeah, there's a subtle mental shift where it's like you can let the appreciation and gratitude and love and passion be fueling you or you can let it be fear right. of like, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough? And if you're in that, that mind is never satisfied. You know, it will never have enough. And so it's either one or the other that's fueling you. So I look at it really as like, what are you putting in your gas tank? And it seems like that, that fear part is like, well, I can't even appreciate what I've got or else I'm going to somehow let off the gas and all of this is going to come falling down. It's going to come crashing down if I take time to appreciate it. I, I know some guys are like, I'll lose my edge if I'm grateful if I'm content, it's like, it's this weird, like I gotta be miserable or else it's all going to fall to shit. Like this is crazy world that, that, that we live in. And it's like, well, that's when you believe your fear. That's when you believe that, that aspect of yourself. Um, so let's come back to this word that you mentioned, mindfulness. How do you describe mindfulness to people that aren't really familiar with that term? It's really just awareness, mindfulness. Um, I mean, the way it was taught traditionally is there was, you know, you start with mindfulness of breathing. So you, you learn that, and that's just a, a, a way to anchor your mind. But then it was like, well, you go to mindfulness of thinking, mindfulness of emotion, mindfulness of sensation, then mindfulness of consciousness, like, which really gets into this philosophical place of like, what are you? Like, what makes you, you? So mindfulness is this full package that was used as a tool for enlightenment for traditional Buddhists and yogis. But um, it's really neat that now we have all this science showing that like, well, the simple breathing tool can really help you um, manage emotion, have a much more positive outlook, grow empathy. But then you can take these other aspects of like awareness of thought, emotion, feeling, sensation, consciousness to like, a whole other level of, of really like philosophical reflection. So, but yeah, at its core, mindfulness is just awareness. And there's this great story. I think you know this this one of, about the second arrow. This is a traditional Buddhist teaching where the Buddha was saying, hey, monks, you guys have been doing this for 10, 15 years. And you may notice you feel still feel some pain and discomfort. So what's the difference between you and somebody who isn't practicing mindfulness? And he said, well, let me tell you the difference. A run-of-the-mill person, when they're hit with an arrow, feels the pain of that arrow. And then they, the traditional text says they beat their breast and lament and wail and complain. And maybe they get into some story of why do arrows always hit me? I'm always like the victim or whatever their story is. And he says, but the person practicing mindfulness who's really gotten the knack of it they just feel the pain of one arrow and they're like, I'm done. You know, <laughs> I feel the pain of that arrow. Yeah. No story. And when you look at people who have been meditating for um, like practicing Zen for a long time, when they are hooked up to an fMRI and they're in the moment watching their minds, there's a sound. You see a sharp spike where they, they are aware of the sound. But as soon as the sound is done, their mind is back to baseline. So they have this sort of ninja quality of like they're with it right there in the present. They're with the stimulus. But then they're not like 
Oh, hey, where's that sound coming from? I wonder if I should get up. Oh, I, you know, I'm, oh yeah, I was going to cook. I need some to go yell at whoever made that sound. Or <laughs> <laughs> right. Why yeah, does the sound always like, have to happen when I'm meditating? You know? <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's mindfulness at a high level. It seems, you know, for me, the way I describe it, I've been meditating almost 20 years is when I'm in a state of mindfulness, I'm watching the TV show that is Trip Lanier. Right. And so the things that the phenomena that is triplinear, I, I just watch it happen. Where I think some people, when they think about being mindful, it's like they're trying to control everything that's happening. I shouldn't feel this way, and I shouldn't say this thing, and I shouldn't. And it's it's really just more of an awareness or a watching or a witnessing of those things. And even my desire when I say, "Oh, I shouldn't do that," and I can watch that other arrow come in and start to do its thing. Like, yeah, you're such an idiot for doing that thing. It's like this is the. TV show. This is what comes on at five o'clock every day. And these are the characters. And this is, and it, it helps me to just zoom out and be like, yeah, this is the TV show. This is what shows up in my mind. And, and all of these different characters that there's the arrow and then the other arrows that pile on. And this is just how it goes. And it helps me to not to dissociate from myself, not to, you know, to act like I don't have a body and I don't have emotions and that kind of thing, but just to not get wrapped up in it and not to have those echoes, like you said, that this, that when the sound happens to then not have it reverberate so long and, and get stuck in it, stuck in that cycle or in that pattern for so long, it tends to just, Oh, there it goes. And then I notice it calms down a bit, a bit more in that way. And, and I, I think I, that's why I want to emphasize what mindfulness is a bit more. Cause I hear, t- I hear some folks talk about like, well, surfing's my meditation or, gardening's my meditation and that that may be we might get into some flow state into the into those into those areas but i'm not necessarily sure if we gain the wisdom that comes from self-awareness of, of being able to watch those things and get to know thyself um i'm curious what you have to say about that yeah no it's a different quality i mean while everything can be mindfulness there is a different quality to practicing still meditation when you're skateboarding or you're surfing or you're playing tennis or you're painting, you're practicing mindfulness of that activity. And to some extent, the stimulus that you're taking in is the reason you love that thing as mindfulness, painting, surfing, whatever, is because it forces your mind to be present. Like you can't wander off because the ocean is coming at you and the light's so beautiful and that ride was so fun. But when you stop and still your body, your mind starts going all over the place. It's, it's challenging yourself more to say, okay, let me really take a look at this TV show that is me because there's no, I'm not, I'm, I'm shutting my eyes and I'm just letting it run and I'm not afraid to look at that. And it's challenging. I mean, it's, it, it becomes very peaceful over years or when you have, can go on retreat it becomes extremely blissful at times but there's the majority of the beginning of mindfulness or even when you just first sit down and you're in your busy day is like well i don't want to do this yeah (laughs) like i don't want to watch this show this show's crazy i'm doing i'm working so hard to avoid this show that's why i've got this phone that's why i've got all these things to distract me from this show i don't want to watch this show But you're right. I love that metaphor because if you can see it as a show, then you're just like, this is the self that I've created. But the beautiful thing about mindfulness is that when you become aware that the story is just happening on its own, unchecked, 
then you can kind of start to be the writer of the story as well. Like a lot of people think of mindfulness as you're just kind of about, you're going back to zero, you're blanking out. But once you sort of learn the way the waves are moving or learn the narrative of the show, then you can kind of start driving that narrative too and say, well, no, I don't want to go down that story of like why I should have be further along in my career right now and beat myself up. I want to go to the story of gratitude or I want to go to the story of goal setting or I want to go to the story of appreciation or seeing myself in 10 years and doing a little visualization and feeling really great about that. Like that's a narrative you can bring into your mindfulness that isn't traditional mindfulness practice, but I'm just saying like, it's like once you understand that the TV show is a creation, that you're not really <laughs> involving yourself in that much because it's happening as a, on its own, then you can start to direct that TV show to an extent. And I love what you said about accepting the fact that like, oh, these emotions are happening and that's okay. Like, I don't have to shoot a second arrow. And the surfing metaphor that I use with mindfulness is like, all my thoughts and feelings and emotions and self-perceptions, those are the waves on the surface of the ocean. But my true self is the ocean. And the ocean's not phased even by a tsunami. That's like a flicker <laughs> on the surface. So like, my true strength and my true stability is the sea. So like nothing that I can think or feel can really phase that. And the, the, the thing I use in parenting is like, okay, the C is, is the love that I feel for my children. Like that's unbreakable. So I might ha be having like a frustrated moment or a day where I'm like, how did I get into this mess? I don't have any time. <laughs> if I breathe, take a beat, and I can like still feel a thread to that love, that oceanic self, that that's the trump card. Mindfulness essentially gives us a way to break that unconscious fear-based or emotional reactivity and just say, oh, I'm, I'm doing that thing. This is what the, what the pattern does. This is what the machinery does when I'm not at the wheel, when I'm, when I'm unconscious. Being mindful says I can recognize it and say, well, is this, I can just watch this show play out. It's reality TV at its finest. There's a lot of drama here. Or I can ask myself, what other choice would I want to make here? What, what's actually going to have me feel stronger, more free, more alive, more at peace? And so we can make, make those better choices there. And this we come back to like, oh, I would go play. I would go, you know, I would connect in with this deeper sense of love in this moment instead of wanting to strangle these kids in my room or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or like I, 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 what I need to do is go take a break. I need to, I need to give myself some space here so I can react, uh, so I can respond from a more powerful place. What I'm getting from this is that mindfulness is one of those things that we want to develop because left on our own, our minds are, are going to be reacting from a really primitive fear-based place. You wrote about this in the fear project a lot, where, where how the studies show that we're still really in a primitive, really working with an old primitive brain, an old primitive organ. And, and mindfulness is a way for us to, I don't know, is it quickly evolve or to access some of our higher functioning there so that we don't always have to be kind of dragging our knuckles along? Yeah. No, one of my teachers, Robert Thurman, would always say meditation is an evolutionary sport because mm. you're you're right. We have this old biology. I mean, the limbic system, amygdala, is basically functioning the same way it does in you know rats and even snakes, which 
you know, there were only a few things that you needed at that in that primitive time, which was like sex drive, fear, um, hunger. And it's like those ba- those three things can kind of keep a, a species going. But then we developed through social interaction and needing to strategize the hunt and gather all these language and storytelling and um, ritual. And that's all in the prefrontal cortex, which is slower than the limbic system, which has to be lightning fast. Because if a rock's falling or, you know, the saber-toothed tiger is about to jump out, you need to feel the adrenaline before you think, oh, what is that? Is that a saber-toothed tiger? Let what me like do name now? it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what, what phylum and species is this? You know, it's, so you got, it's got to be lightning fast. So that strategy our brains are still using to get fear into our system. And so the fear is going to beat you, and that's okay. I mean, that's what, I've, that's what I think mindfulness has been for me, is like accepting the fact that even after 20 years of meditation, I'm going to feel a jolt of fear, I'm, or I'm going to get into some negative spins from time to time, and that's okay. That's just my body doing, going through its process. But what fear is, is just energy in the body. So what that's doing is just sending a little extra circulation to your limbs to fight or flee. It's an espresso shot, essentially. It's really uncomfortable if that espresso shot spins you into a negative story about why this project's going to fail or why you're, you're not good enough for X, Y, Z. But if it's just like, oh, I'm a feeling nervous and that's totally normal. I have a little extra energy right now. How do I want to direct this energy? You know, maybe you can't sleep. So you're like, I know I'm not going to be able to sleep for the next hour. I'll get up and meditate or I'll get up and work a little bit or something, but not beat yourself up about it. It's just like, okay, I have some adrenaline in my body. I'll let it run its course and then I'll go back to sleep. It's like taking all the self-judgment out of the fact that this is our biology. We're saddled with it. It's cool. It works well, but it's not perfect. And once you understand that, you can kind of use it to your advantage. Yeah. I appreciate that you essentially describe those arrows there, right? It's like, okay, here's this shot of fear. This, there is this circumstance. There's this thing I need to deal with. And then I could make, I could attach meaning to that. And here comes all of the other arrows and all the, I should be this and I should be that. That's the stuff that creates all the suffering. And, and what I heard you say is like, well, I could be mindful here. How do I want to use this? This is this is reality. This is a given. Now, how do I want to respond? Which is different than why is this happening? What's wrong? Like, who do I blame? And I'm to blame. And oh, was my parents to blame because they're unlike this? Like, just getting into that cycle of suffering and watching. Now we're watching the TV show. There it goes. Right, we've got a plot, and and we're gonna see how this plays out. I remember when I got into meditation, I thought I was going to really be going to be able to escape that stuff. <laughs> I was on the hook. I was like, yeah, this enlightenment stuff sounds awesome. Like I, I was under the impression that I'm going to be able to escape this fear, this sense of vulnerability for good. And that was another trap that once I was practicing was like, why is this stuff still showing up that I was, I was trying to escape. I was, I was using this practice as an escape. So I want to just voice that here because I can imagine as we're talking about this, somebody's like, hell yeah, I'm going to finally be able to escape my, my crazy monkey mind and my, my suffering. And, and I want to be clear that that's not what's going to happen. I love that you said that this stuff still is going to happen. We're just going to have more facility and more uh, choice and more power around it. 
you see that a lot in meditation communities and stuff or people who are, they're essentially feeding some sort of nihilistic urge that I just want things to go away. <laughs> I don't want to just, right. and you even see like people using Buddhist philosophy as like, of, there's this idea of no self that they're just like, well, I'm just going to disappear. And I'm meditating here so that I can disappear. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and like blisses will be when I disappear or when, and like, that's emphatically not the point. So I think enlightenment to some degree is the nature to which you really start letting go of this fixed self, the TV show, living the TV show. <laughs> I'm feeling trapped in that. Like the, it's like the, um, the Truman show, you know, it's like yeah. you break out of that and you're like, Oh, here's life. It's full color. And I actually feel connected with other people. And I, I'm not just in this narcissistic reality that's so painful, really. It's yeah. like, that's that voice that you were talking about earlier where it's like, but if I stop living in fear, it'll all unravel. You know, that's, and start to experience and, the good stuff today instead of once everything's complete right. and once everything's perfect or safe. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny going back to the kids book, uh, Mop, there's this picture in there that you might have seen where Mop, the, the surfer kid, he's duck diving this triple up of fear and sadness and anger. And he's, he's realizing that he can breathe through his emotions or he can let them pass because they don't last forever. Just like he's, we duck dive waves. My kids colored that in, in the coloring book. And I started hanging them up around the wall, around the, the house. And then I realized it was this great tool where like, if they're fighting or we're flipping out, I'd be like, Hey, you're in a wave, take a break. And it was funny, our eight-year-old's very cognitive, like cerebral kid, and he was so angry at his brother. And I was like, hey, you're in a way, take a breath. And he was like, no, I'm going to feel this way forever. I'm so mad. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he heard himself saying, and his logic kicked in, and he was like, he smiled. He was, I was like, you're going to feel that way forever? <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny, like, to see that in kids, because that's the story that, like, our emotions tell us when we're really locked in fear or, yeah. like, anger or when we're really locked in one of those second arrows, especially the deep entrenched ones. We're like, no, this is how it is. This is the way it's going to be. I'm finally seeing it right. And I'm and life sucks or whatever, it's like. mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or I or, or I'm a failure. And I, now I'm really seeing it. And if you can sort of almost like. It's, it's neat to see kids do it because it's like a caricature. But if you imagine like your future self or your parent being like, look, the things you're freaking out about right now are not that big of a deal. And let me tell you, 20 years from now, you're going to look back and want to say to yourself now, don't sweat that stuff right now. Like it all works out. Like mm -hmm. get involved, like enjoy the time with your kids. Enjoy that, you know, that surf or that run. Like they get to hear that from us, but we don't really have a parent anymore saying that like, right. <laughs> hey, you're not going to be in that for everybody. And uh, so that's a fun thing I've been playing with lately is sort of like talking to my future self a little bit um, as if like I do to my kids being like, it's all good, man. Like, yeah, this is happening. <laughs> this is reality. And it won't always be this way. I think that's the that's the feeling. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we have a hard time, like why some folks will have a hard time meditating at first, which is, I don't want to feel this stuff. I'm afraid I'm going to feel this way forever, right? If I actually start to feel this stuff, I'm going to feel uncomfortable forever, which is different than recognizing here's a wave. 
I, I might be sad for a little bit. I might feel my anger for a little bit. I might feel this discomfort for a little bit. And, and understanding that if we're willing to have those feelings, we're willing to go through those waves, then we can have, we can stop having to feel like we're always on the run, trying to outrun ourselves, trying to always distract ourselves. That's the exhausting part. Uh, and, and, and it opens the door to a lot of the stuff of what you and I've been talking about today, which is I can come back and just enjoy my life as it is today. I don't always have to be on the run. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's funny, like you're right. We want to avoid those waves. And this was a, uh, a misconception I had of meditation just like you. I think I had a little bit of like a macho approach where I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bust these emotions up. Like. I'm going to get Zen and have a peaceful mind. And I'm going to, there's a metaphor in, in Zen Buddhism where you're, you have your Vajra sword and you're like cutting through illusion. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I don't have to, like, I don't have to feel this stuff because I'm a badass meditator now. And I've done this intense retreat. Right. And the truth was, you know, when I really went on, a retreat with the mindset of letting my letting emotions be like let letting my mind be rather than trying to use meditation as like almost like this like micromanagement sword or something i a huge flood of like old stuff came up my parents divorce i ended up sobbing through a good portion of yeah. of the retreat but what i realized was like feeling those emotions was like heavenly after they'd been bottled up for so yeah. long. Cause sadness, like when you're actually feeling it is actually not an unpleasant sensation. When you really are letting an emotion come through, that's been bottled up. It's like a great stretch. You're yeah. like, Oh, I'm it's letting that out. So I think to people who are, when they do sit down and, and say, Oh, I don't like this. This <laughs> shows a little scary. It's like, I would just say, just wait, because like not all those waves that seem like they are negative or should ha or have negative labels are necessarily bad ones to feel. It's also that we might be more uncomfortable with the fear of that emotion rather than the emotion itself. Oh no, I'm going to feel, here comes the sadness or here comes the anger or here comes whatever. Yeah. Like, oh no, oh no, no. Which is different than actually feeling that sadness or that anger or whatever is has been, you know, stuffed down there. I remember on one retreat where I think it was like day four and I was sitting there and I, if somebody had, <laughs> I was just fuming, I was just in this rage as I was sitting there and I burned through like for an hour, just like, and, and then it, it opened up. And I remember I, I felt like I was just a ball of light. Like it, it just, something shifted in my neurology, just everything just started to like melt. And I, I just went through it. It burned through from the, from that rage and anger into this deep sadness, but then it just opened up. And I, what I took away from that was the ease and the, the peace that I'm seeking is usually on the other side of that thing that I'm unwilling to feel. And to right. this day, to this day, I still have, I still kick and scream and will not go into these places that I want to feel. Luckily, I, I have people in my corner, especially my wife, that's like, it's okay to feel this stuff, but I really want to find ways to not have to feel it. But I'm always reminded that when I feel it, that it's like, oh, there we go. Now I'm, I'm back to being me again. I get to be all of myself instead of trying to outrun those parts of me that I can't be with. 
Well, right. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point because it, it's going to come out. The feelings are going to come out some way. Yeah. <laughs> but they, if you're, I don't know, if you're living asleep, they come out in some way that you don't want. It's the difference between getting angry and raging around the house and saying to your wife, I'm really angry right now, you know, and here, and this is why I'm feeling this. And not like saying like, it's because of you. (laughs) Or being aggressive, right? There's anger and then there's this like, you, you're this terrible person. You always do this. Like then we want to wound that person. It's a lot different than just like, I'm really freaking angry right now. Yeah. And that's a kind of mindfulness too. Because basically when you can say that, I'm really angry right now, you've already taken that mindful step back and and been like, the anger is not running me. I'm aware of it. I'm acknowledging it and talking about it will, I know will help. Maybe there's some just reason that you feel angry. Maybe you've been wronged or something, but like sometimes you got to talk about it or write about it. And that can be equally valuable, I think, to sitting still. I've found recently because I have less time to practice um, still meditation that if I'm feeling real worked up, about something that happened in the day and I'm going to maybe do a little mindfulness before sleep, before I go to bed, I'll first do like a five minute little free write. I'll just, I do this thing where I kind of like write a letter to myself. Like I'll ask a question of sort of my, whatever you want to call it, like my higher self. And then I'll just let the pen start moving without thinking, trying to let whatever needs to come through, come through. And Mm -hmm. I usually find that I have my own I have an answer to my own question in that space. It's really helpful. I'll do that for maybe just a couple minutes and then sit. There's often just emotions need to be acknowledged. And then I find that I'm, I'm putting the wave in the context of the sea. Hey, ocean, let me throw you this wave. And the ocean's always the same. <laughs> ocean's always like, it's not that big of a deal, man. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're stronger than this. You can handle this. But it, something about write, maybe that's why I'm a writer. Something about writing it down, I find really helpful and absolutely just like an extension of still meditation. Sometimes that's bouncing it off a friend if you have it. I don't know if you if you need that kind of like sort of verbalization of mindfulness. I think there's things where in the past I would try to address it individually. Like, okay, I'm feeling this thing. I'm gonna go sit, and a lot of times it just stew. In it, like it, it was just like oh, just right there in my face, and I would you know get twenty, thirty minutes of this thing right in my face, and maybe not necessarily move, but I go talk to somebody and just say, hey, here's what's going on, and they would just listen to me and vomit for even five minutes, and it was like oh, like you said, just needed to be acknowledged. I didn't even need to emote anything, but just like get it out there. So there's going from the I to the we that could really move that energy and get it out. And then it's like, oh yeah, like if I were to sit now, I could really have a much more, you know, I think it would be a much different experience. So I think with experience, what you're talking about is we start to learn like, oh, this is one of the things that might be good to just go talk to a friend about and just have that person listen. And I just want to get this out. I'm going to vomit it. I'm not going to be attached to anything I say in the next few minutes. It just needs to come out. Like you said, just write. Uh, and to get it out, or that could be a thing where you write individually. But um, yeah, the, the, I, I definitely can appreciate that that there's a, a difference to some of these ways that we just acknowledge this stuff 
get it out. It moves like a wave. That's where the wave can then move. And then we come out the other side and we have more access to our cognitive abilities and, and our creative abilities. I think you said it. So a lot of times the emotion just needs to be acknowledged. It just needs to be recognized. And to some extent, that's what you're doing in silence where when something comes up, you're like, oh, fear. Oh, sadness. But yeah, we're also verbal beings. And I think as guys, especially like we're just, we really have this like age old story that we're not supposed to have to do that. Somehow <laughs> like, it's beneath us. We shouldn't have to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, um, again, just having lived this, like that sort of Zen approach where you're sort of like, I'm going to, you can even turn meditation into that where you're like, I'm just going to man up and sit through this. <laughs> but right. like, Hey, if, if that's not working yet, it's like, call up a friend, you know, yeah. you don't, it, there's no one right way. Yeah. And, uh, to ride the wave. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it's about coming back. It's like, do I know to be stronger or not? Cause I, I've spent years trying to outrun my emotions and it made me weaker. Like I wasn't getting tougher. I wasn't more resilient. I was becoming more and more fragile as a result. So it's like, do I want to get stronger or not? I, I do all these other things in my life to be stronger, whether it's financially or to have a stronger family or to have a stronger house or whatever. I'm always looking for those things. Like, well, why would I sandbag myself this way when it comes to, you know, my, my creative power, my, my emotional power. And so it's like, yeah, well, I just want to get out of my way. What does it mean to get out of the way? Well, maybe it's the right thing to go talk to somebody right now and just do it. Get over yourself. Yeah, Go do it. This is the things I tell myself. And, uh, and, and boy, I'm so glad I do it when I, when I actually initiate it and do it, it's, it's always, I've never been sorry for doing it. Put it that way. Yeah. You know, we often feel like we have to bottle that up. We often see this like sort of don't apologize figure. Don't, don't have any emotion figure as like the one who's going to get respect. Oftentimes just acknowledging that you're human, it can be such a great leadership tool as well because it allows, it allows for that human connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're like me. Okay. And yeah. you're still leading and you're still getting things done and you're able to have, you know, be more creative or whatever that thing is. I think that's the the new archetype that, that we're all yeah. seeing develop as, as part of our generation here even more. So, well, I'm glad you're doing yeah. this work. I, I love that you, that you put out a children's book and you're trying to start to plant some of these seeds in the younger generation. It's exciting to me to see, see that, that be your next chapter here. Thank you so much, man. It was good to good to reconnect as well. I appreciate you helping me. You you were I appreciated being able to reach out to you from time to time as I was going through my book process too. So thanks for the support. No, it's just always such a pleasure to talk with you, Chip. And um, I really appreciate what you do. Be sure to check out Jamal Yogi's new book for kids called Mop Rides the Waves of Life. It's available on Amazon. It's at your favorite bookstore, or you can check it out at your local library. If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.